Hospital ISM Report on Business Teleconference. I'm Rosemary Gupil, and we will begin shortly. I'm joined uh, this morning by Christina Cahill. Christina, are you able to hear me okay? Hi, Rosemary. Yes, you sound great. Perfect. Thank you, Christina. And Nancy, have you joined us this morning? I certainly have. <laughs> Welcome back from, from Paris, the City of Lights. Very Thank you. Can't wait to hear all about it uh, uh, later. Um, okay, well, um, this morning we do have a few announcements before we get started. Today's overview is presented by Nancy Lamaster, Chair of the Hospital ISM Business Survey Committee. As a reminder, our call this morning um, is being recorded, and this is a live teleconference, so we'd ask that everyone please mute their line until the end of the call to prevent any uh, background noise. And the next hospital PMI release of the October report will be released on Tuesday, November 7th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And as a reminder, that will be um, after the time change. So uh, one notation there. I would like to thank everyone for joining the Institute for Supply Management today for the release of the hospital ISM report on business. Are there any reporters on the call this morning that know they're going to have a question for Nancy? Uh, uh, was that Dan? Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay, Dan, thank you. Anyone else? We're here for the overlap. This is Paul. I'll have a question. Super. Um, thank you, Paul. And are, is there anyone else? All right. Well, if there are any other reporters that do join that have a, a question for Nancy, she will open up the line for those questions once uh, she completes her overview. So it does look like that we have everyone uh, who's joined us this morning. So I'm going to turn the call over now to Nancy Lamaster, Chair of the Hospital ISM Business Survey Committee. Nancy, please go ahead with your uh, overview for this month. Okay. Thank you, Rosemary. First, a big thanks to Rosemary and the ISM staff. As she mentioned, I was out uh, traipsing across France for about two and a half weeks, and the staff put the report together for me. So I uh, greatly appreciate it. Um, and so let's talk about the numbers. So I'm going to take you back to the summer, July and August in particular, where we saw a lot of fluctuations. August, where we actually saw the PMI go into contracting. And we had a lot of discussion about the fact of the, um, this being a leading indicator. We're looking at month over month. Our verbal comments were suggesting seasonality, uh, slower summer demand not a reduction in core demand itself. And um, so we were crossing all our fingers, um, kind of always uh, concerned about trying to predict the future, but everything came into play in September as we anticipated it would. The PMI took a huge jump from 47.5 up to 57, more a normal level that we had seen um, previously in the steady state, so nine and a half uh, percentage growth. Uh, business activity, again, up 11.5%, so 61.5 from 50. New orders, big jump, 12.5% from 49 to 61.5. Um, although it's not part of the PMI calculation, I also kind of keep an eye on that backlog of orders, and that was up slightly at 51.5. So um, we saw really strong demand coming back. Um, the, again, what I had heard previously from 
manufacturers of implants related to elective procedures. You know, they were projecting a strong fall and winter. We'll, we'll see if that comes to pass, but we did see the volumes come back strong in September. Uh, a couple of mentions in the comments about even some flu starting. That's, that's early. I haven't heard that on a more global basis, but everything's possible. But the other thing that supported that growth was the employment number. Um, that also took a really big jump of 5.5% from 49 to 54.5. Um, the comments suggested that um, we were doing a lot, continuing that shift. We've been seeing this for quite some time, but of trying to get away from contract labor, which is, of course, premium price, to being uh, able to hire more labor. I will tell you antidotally, there's like no evidence, but it's tribal wisdom that's strongly believed in the healthcare uh, is that when kids go back to school, um, we get an influx of nurses willing and tech, you know, people coming back to work, that some will take a break for the summer um, and then come back in the fall. But whatever groups of things uh, fuel that, that was a nice rebound. Now, of course, you know, one night, month does not make a trend. And we also know from the comments that in our non-clinical positions, we are seeing freezes um, and a lot of caution on hiring because the pressure on margins hasn't really gotten any better. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that, but, but the volume is definitely there. So let's talk about supply chain. Supplier delivery went up uh, 8.5 to slowing. And that has been an interesting metric. So I went back and did a little poking around in the numbers. Um, ISM does a fabulous spreadsheet for me that tracks all of the data since the beginning of when we began gathering data, which was April in 2018. And looking through that, between April of 2018 and February of 2023, there were only two months, July of 18, September of 19, where the respondents said that supplier deliveries were faster. So the, the default answer to that question has seemed to be, in history, it's slower. Now it was, you know, it went from in the 50s, you know, low 52, 54 ratings up to as high as 86 as we went into the pandemic. So, I mean, the, the, the level of slowness, so to speak, is varied greatly. But in 2023 is when we really saw things change up a little bit. From February to June, that was five straight months, we had uh, the report of deliveries being faster. July dropped to slower, August back to faster, September to slower. So it, it's bouncing around right now. Um, fundamentally, you know, when you look at what's going on with the docks, when you look at what's going on with shipments in general, you know, we're not seeing all of the snarls and problems we did earlier. Um, we are seeing spotty shortages of product, but um, but we'll keep an eye on that. I mean, it, it's barely 50.5, barely into the slowing range, but I don't think that it's indicating any fundamental issue underlying supplier deliveries. Um, and, and for the most part, we've, we've seen a lot of improvement in that metric. So that's kind of where that is at. Inventories. Inventories continue uh, to be contracting, 43, 
not quite as fast as previously, but still contracting, while the inventory sentiment is still that they're too high at 57.5, down a little bit. There were several comments on uh, inventory this month by the panelists, um, and most of them were around, again, this, this push to actively reduce inventory levels, which helps with cash flow. Um, you know, we are going to start to go into the respiratory uh, season again here. Someone said, you know, they're still burning off PPE inventory. Some of that will be consumed as we go into winter. But area that uh, hospital supply chain folks are putting a lot of effort on as they're getting a lot of pressure to come up with ways to reduce costs, improve cash flow. The, the pricing numbers, you know, are nothing to celebrate. Um, they're, they continue to bob around a little bit. Pricing overall was down uh, 4%, but still at 59.5. But uh, that was kind of the, the conglomerate. But when you broke it down, uh, both pharmaceutical and supply pricing was increasing. Uh, pharmaceuticals, 60 from 56.5. Supplies, again, jumped up quite a bit. Uh, from 59.5 to 66.5. So we're just not seeing um, the improvement in pricing that the manufacturer index is seeing in terms of raw materials. We are not seeing that flow through into the prices being paid uh, by the hospital. So again, this is compounding their margin problems. Um, let's see, in the hospital-specific metric, case mix went into contracting, 51 from 51 to 48. Case mix is one we've talked about before. It's a lagging indicator. There can be a lot of things that move it around, but what my guess is on that is it's just simply a matter that the summer months were slower. So if you remember July and August, well, August we had a contracting PMI. Um, I, I imagine that's gonna bounce back up now that we had strong volume in September. Case mix is calculated only on uh, discharges. The patient has to have been discharged in that month and then their chart reviewed and then based on uh, the coding, it's an assigned a case mix index value. So it's a very lagging <clears throat> indicator. So generally if you see high volume anywhere from 30 to 60 days post that will pop back up. Um, days payable outstanding came back to contracting again. You know, that seems to kind of vacillate between about two, but this was down to 46.5. Um, there was comments, again, about uh, kind of mixed, about half and half. Half indicating that they were putting effort on that metric and about half indicating they were suffering from shortages of staff and not putting much effort. So I think that'll continue to bounce around. And then the last couple here, uh, technology spent back into the growth range at 51. Um, so uh, I just last night, in fact, was invited to attend a conference uh, the 16th of October that is going to consist of a group of healthcare supply chain leaders, VP level leaders, and some of the largest manufacturers. Um, and so I'm really, that's going to be high on my list of, of meeting with people. Um, is to find out more about what's going on with technology spend and where they are investing their money. That's an area where, in spite of Rosemary and everybody's effort to get panelists to give me more comments, they really don't 
And so um, I'm going to delve into that when, while I have this opportunity to meet with this really, you know, great cross-section of supply chain leaders. And the last one on there is touchless orders. And, you know, that's been down three months in a row. I keep thinking that's going to bounce back up because the supplier deliveries were faster. Um, and it's just kind of lurking right there. Um, some of that's probably related to the fact that Thomas Solar, we've got some uh, substitutions going on, some shortages going on, but we'll keep an eye on that. Those aren't directly as directly correlated as you would think. Dan had asked about that previously, and I'd looked back at the numbers. At a minimum, touchless orders lagged uh, supplier delivery improvement. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, but overall, you know, it was a great month. We had strong volume. Um, supplier deliveries were, yes, they slowing a little, but still from the comments, good. <clears throat> folks are trying to cut down their inventories. The biggest problem are expenses, are the prices are high, they're not coming down, um, and that's put huge margin pressures on the hospitals, and they're really trying to figure out how to address those. So that's kind of the month in a capsule. I'm going to take a breath and, um, and turn it over to Dan and see what questions he has. Hey Nancy, good morning. Um, yeah, you touched on um, the employment shift, how facilities were trying to get away from contract and trying to uh, onboard more permanent employees. I know that's a process been, that's been going on for a while. Um, and it was I noticed a couple of comments about that this month. Could you just elaborate that on a little, a little bit? And also, I mean, I know it would be anecdotally at this point, um, but anything in the Kaiser Permanente um, uh, uh, labor situation that could potentially cause some concern. Okay, great, great, great questions. So um, the process of hiring, particularly nurses, and, and contract labor, yes, you can have contract food service workers and techs and stuff, and we do, but the bulk of when hospitals are talking about contract labor, they're talking about nursing labor in general because that's where the, the cost is you know, most of the spend is. And, you know, sometimes people think, oh, if I hire a nurse and she starts on Monday, I can get rid of that contact track labor person on Monday. Well, nurses have a, an or, or orientation period, right? They've got to learn the IT systems, et cetera. So it's not an immediate switch of one for one. So a lot of times <clears throat> as hospitals are trying to ramp up and hire more permanent staff, there's a tail for the contract staff. So it becomes kind of this cumulative thing where you'll go along and you'll have kind of an overlap between the two. Then as you get that that group of new nurses fully trained and where they can operate 100% on their own, that's when you see the, the cutback in contract labor. Also in contract labor, often um, if, if they have what are called travelers, these are nurses that travel from one part of the country, they're under contract So for a period of time. So you may have to sign a six-month contract or eight-month contract. Um, and so even as you're switching over and hiring more permanent, you've got, the, again, this double expense. So it's just a very long, ongoing process. What they're focused on is getting rid of the long-term contract labor and moving to, if they have to, short-term, what we call agency labor, which is exactly what it sounds like, a temporary agency. You call up and say, I need a nurse for two for this shift. That's 
kind of the, the fallback. The other thing we've seen um, across the country, and we've talked about hospitals getting more flexible with their scheduling, hiring more part-time people, giving nurses more, um, you know, control over their schedule. Um, we've also seen, uh, especially regional systems, um, creating their own temporary pool. So, you know, they would identify their own nurses who maybe don't want to work full or part-time but still want to keep their skills and their license, and they're, they're willing to go in a pool where they, you know, look up on an app and say, oh, I can, I'm going to pick up a shift in the ICU at, you know, Hospital A, um, and they get paid a bonus, but they don't get paid as much as the contract labor because, again, if you're working with an agency, the agency gets a cut of that, too. So those are just strategies that everybody is like grappling with to get the staff they need. Now, the Kaiser strike is is really very, um, I guess, I don't know what the word is I want, I'm still jet lagged a little bit, but it, it really illustrates, I guess, the, the challenge that we're facing, you know, not even just in healthcare, but, but in general. So the healthcare workers are saying, you know, um, there's not enough staff, and a lot of the reasons there's not enough staff is not so much uh, financial constraints. Some of it can be, um, you know, hospitals have staffing ratios, and they say for X number of patients, there's going to be X number of nurses, techs, etc. And some could argue those staffing ratios are too thin, but often the shortages are coming from literally the shortage of people available to be hired. So, you know, it's a complex problem of supply and demand, everybody wants more money, there is inflation, everybody gets that, but at the same time, you know, one of the rallying cries out there are that hospital costs are too high, and talk from Congress, um, you know, Medicare, etc., of cutting reimbursement to hospitals, so while managed care and everybody is cutting rates, expenses continue to grow and so it becomes a very difficult situation to say you know how long can hospitals run at a negative margin you know if this drives them into a negative margin position or sometimes you'll hear well they have reserves which if they're well managed they should um, because they the idea is that they will be around in perpetuity but again you spend your savings and then what so it's a really difficult problem that we're kind of facing across the country in different areas is what's the middle ground? Um, what, what kind of balance are we going to find in paying? Um, and, I, and I think, again, you know, we've talked about the efforts, stepping up the efforts to try and get more and more people to go into the healthcare field. Um, and retraining people that maybe have lost jobs in other industries to go into this field to really boost that supply number. But I, I don't think there's going to be an easy, quick answer, and I think we're going to see potentially more of this discord between labor and management, between the government and hospitals, and not just the government, but managed care, insurance, businesses pushing back on healthcare costs as well. that help? Yeah, that was great. Thank you. Paul, what can I? What would you like to chat about? So, um, respondents mentioned flu and uh, COVID-19 in their comments. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any? Do you hear any 
there possible seasonal illnesses like RSV that might be uh, demand or supply management challenges? So RSV was really early last year. It was unusual. Um, All the respiratory illnesses were early last year. I'm not hearing a lot yet. As I indicated, I'm going to be with quite a few healthcare people in couple of weeks and then we'll try and find more there. Uh, In scanning, you know, the things we see from the CDC and just information in general that come across my desk, no real chatter yet about any of the respiratory diseases. So we kind of have not really geared up. We're not seeing any kind of warnings. Um, We are seeing, as you may be, you know, ads and encouragements for uh, vaccinations. But, um, Nothing yet that indicates it's going to be a season any worse than average, um, but it will depend somewhat on how seriously people take getting vaccinated. So um, that's a big watch, and I'll try and uh, see how hospitals are planning for that when I'm at the conference in a couple weeks. Thank you. Sure. Anyone else on the line that has a question? Okay, Rosemary, I'm going to turn it back to you.